We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yeah. News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. What a powerful story, huh? It's been said that uh, we are a product of the choices that we make. The fact is, every single day, we make choices. We make the choice of whether or not we will allow Christ to forgive us of our sins for us to become believers in Christ and to have new life in Him. We have choices of forgiveness, whether we will forgive that person that has offended us or whether we won't. We have choices as to whether we'll live for God or live for ourselves, whether we're going to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God or 
do things the way that we want in life. Choices are all around us. Today's message is really about the choices that we make. And we're going to be looking at five faith principles that Hebrews 11 gives us today. And these five faith principles all deal with the kind of choices that we make. And it's so practical because as moms, as dads, as, as business owners or people in business or people in the workplace, we have choices and we want those choices to be honoring to God and I believe that God will give us practical application that we can use for our life today. Now, our unlikely hero, this is our, our series, our unlikely hero today is Moses. Now, Moses, we are going to be transitioning. We have been talking about the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their kids. And now we're going to look at the pioneers of the faith. We're going to be looking at those that advance the, 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 the promise of God that he had given all the way to Abraham, continue it on with the people of Israel. So we're going to be looking in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at Moses. Now, I want you to know that Moses is an unlikely hero for many different reasons. Think about his life. I'm going to give kind of a, a snapshot of it. First of all, he was a Hebrew baby boy that was born in the midst of Egypt where the edict had been given to kill all the, all the, all the boys that, are, that were born at that time. So he was, he was born into opposition. We know that he did get raised by an Egyptian family, and as a result was taught the Egyptian ways. That would have been a belief of many gods. This is exactly what Moses would have been taught. We know that as he became a uh, older, he was a hot-headed murderer. He actually murdered somebody, and he went into exile. When he went into exile, he married an Ethiopian woman. He became a shepherd and just lived a tr quiet, trans, uh, uh, tranquil life. And so this is what he did until God spoke to him and said, Moses, I'm not done with you. You might be hiding. You might be you know, fleeing from, from Egypt. But I want you to know I have a purpose for you. And so God says, I want you to be, I want you to be my messenger to Pharaoh. And of course, Moses then looks at or talks to God and says, well, God, I think, I think you got the wrong person. I don't think anybody's really going to listen to me. And, and by the way, God, I'm, I'm not very elegant of speech. So I, I think these are some good reasons why I'm the wrong person. Of course, God tells him why those aren't good reasons. And then finally, Moses says, you know, God, I, I just don't want to do it. Could you please send somebody else? So when we look at this and we ask ourselves, does that really sound like a hero to you? No, very unlikely. That's why we're looking at Moses, because he was an unlikely hero. Now, here's my question for you. Why is it, now that we've been this far along in Hebrews 11, why is it that God constantly picks people that are the unlikely people? Why is he always picking people that are the unlikely heroes in life? They don't want to be heroes. They don't want to be anything. But God calls them to do something special. Here's the reason, just in case you were wondering, 1 Corinthians answers this question. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Now, I want you to know if God chose you and you are a believer, you might be in that category of the foolish things. God chose, chose the weak things of the world 
to shame the strong. Guess what? You might be in that category of the weak things. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You might be lowly, despised, and not. But then he goes on and says, so that no one would boast before him. So this is the reason. It's because of him. Get that. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Actually, I love this passage because it reminds me that all the, all the weight is on God. God's the one that has to do something with this feeble body, this feeble individual, this lowly, despised creature, and he can do something. If he can do something through Steve Marshall, if he can do something through Bob Buchanan, are you kidding me? If he could do something and go right down the list, then you know it was God. And only God gets the praise for that. Aren't you thankful that God uses the likes of us? Let's pray that God would really open our hearts and mind to what he wants us to know in regards to the choices that we make. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to hear from your spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the message you want us to understand today. And Lord, help us to see how you will take lowly individuals, the ones that are flawed, us, and that you want to do something powerful in our life. And we're thankful that you use the likes of us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we uh, open our Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at 23 through 29 today. As we do, I want you to know we're going to see some patterns that go with the choices. We're going to see obstacles. We're going to see motivations. We're going to see reward as we go through the different choices that are made here. And we're going to see that Moses had faith, his parents had faith, and even the people of Israel had faith in this. Now, the first choice that we see is the choice of authority. Who do we obey? And this was Moses' parents that had to uh, were faced with this situation. Take a look at verse 23. By faith, Moses. You're going to hear that phrase, by faith, five different times. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, most of you probably don't know Moses' parents' names, but they were Amran and Jochebed. Now, Jochebed isn't really a great female name, in my opinion, but if you would like to name your daughter uh, someday Jochebed, you go ahead. Amran and Jochebed were like any other couple that were so excited about being pregnant and were excited about bringing a child into the world. But you can only imagine their disappointment when they found out the Pharaoh, the king of the land, had decided that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were growing way too powerful. So he proclaimed an edict saying that all the firstborn sons had to be killed by the midwives immediately right out of the womb. And so they were to, to kill the child immediately. Now, this put them in a horrible position, and this was, a, this was an edict of infanticide. Now, why is it that the infant, the unborn, is always at risk? It seems since the dawn of man that the unborn have been at risk. That's just something for you to think about. 
Now, if you read Exodus chapter 1, you will find that the midwives, who were Hebrew midwives, would not follow Pharaoh's orders. And so Pharaoh went to plan B to say, okay, I want my men to go out door to door. I want you to grab the newborn boys, and I want you to throw them into the crocodile-infested Nile River, and we are going to kill all of the children, all of the boys. Now, the obstacle that this presented here was obviously there was a fear of death for their own children, but also the fear of death for their own life, because if anybody defied the, the Pharaoh's edict, then they could lose their life as well. Well, obviously, any good parent would put their life at risk, and that's exactly what Moses' parents did, and they put their life at risk because they would not listen to Pharaoh's edict. And their motivation was to save their child. So after three months, they tried to hide the child. And after they could conceal him no more, they made a basket, put pitch in it. And they put the child in it and put it in the Nile River near where the princesses of Egypt were bathing. The, the sister of, of this little baby watched as the baby floated down and saw that Pharaoh's daughter picked up this little child and felt sorry for it. When she saw the little Hebrew girl, the sister of this child, she didn't know it was his sister, she asked her to go find, fetch a Hebrew woman to nurse this child and that she would take it as her own and she would call him Moses. Now talk about the providential care of God. Now the reward was the child was saved and not only that, we know history says that a leader was born because this would be the leader of Israel. Now this takes us to our very first faith principle. Write this down. Here, here it is. Faith obeys God above all. Above all else, faith obeys God. See, we live in a society where we need to remember that God is the ultimate authority. See, here's the authority structure in life. God is here. We have governing authorities, and we submit under the governing authorities. Now, we have trouble at times submitting to the governing authorities because we don't like everything our government says and does, right? We find ourselves complaining quite often, right? Some of you do. Some of you maybe, maybe not, especially in the political environment that we find ourselves. But you know what you're supposed to do? You're to submit. You are to pray for the kings and those that are in authority over you. But at times, those authorities will ask you or will pass laws that will ask you to do things that don't submit under God's authority. So here's the deal. We are to obey always to God's authority, even if our authorities move out here outside the realm of God. So our job is always, always to submit to God's authority. We see examples of this throughout the scriptures. So that's our first faith principle. Faith obeys God above all else. Here's the second choice that we see in the passage. Take a look in verse 24 and 26. We see the choice of allegiance. See, Moses grows up as a prince of Egypt, and he comes to a place where he has to make a choice. And here he chooses to align himself with the Hebrew people. He knew he was a Hebrew person, or he could have aligned himself with the Egyptians, but he chose to align himself with his people. This is what it says in verse 24. By faith, Moses, there's that phrase again, by faith, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son, son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Now what we see here is immediately the obstacle that was facing Moses. And that was the obstacle of temptation. Here's what happened. Moses grew up in this environment. He, now, we don't know a ton about how he grew up, but we can put together some puzzle pieces. We know that he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, so he grew up as an educated person, most likely under the most elite Egyptian scholars. He probably learned about the medical arts, he learned about military might, and he certainly learned about leadership as the prince of Egypt. We know from Hebrews 11, from our passages, from this passage, that there were three indulgences that he could have partaken in. He could have partaken in power, or I'm sorry, position, in pleasure. Of course, with position is power. Um, there's pleasure and possessions. Now think about those things. Because those things that he faced that were temptations are certainly things that we face today. He faced the, 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 the temptation of position. This position was royalty. He could have used that position for any personal advancement and to gain power any way that he wanted to. Now, he could have used it for good, as his predecessor Joseph had done in Egypt, but he, the temptation could have used it for all wrong. We know that he had the temptation of pleasure. Being in Egypt and being up high up in authority, we know that sinful pleasure, every sinful pleasure, was before him. There was nothing that was off limit for him. And we also know that sinful pleasures are always enticing. They were then, they still are now. We know that sin is always, always enticing. I can remember a time in my life, this was when I was preparing for Bible college. I was, I was getting ready to finish my education. And in the summers, I worked for the Metropolitan Parks. And there was a day where I was at the Gorge Metropolitan Park, and there was this little shack that I had, and I used to do my reports in there. All my tools were in there. And I would go out in the morning, and I would clean the trails. It was really a boring job. It was just me and nature. So I kind of enjoyed that. But one day, I was in my little shed, and I was taking notes, and I was uh, you know, doing all the things that I was given to do. And down the trail came this beautiful young lady. And she came up to the shed. I thought she was going to pass on by. And she came up to the shed. And normally, I want you to know, I'm kind of oblivious to flirting. But on this particular day, I wasn't oblivious to it because I was actually tempted in this situation. So she started being really nice and saying, how are you doing? How's it going? And I'm, you know, carrying on conversation. And when she started to ask what was inside the shed, I became really, really concerned. And, I'm, and my heart is pounding, and I'm like, okay, Lord, there's, there's, there's temptation here. What am I going to do with this? And, and there was just that little quick prayer that I threw up to God because I was going to be in a comp possibly a compromising position. And so God gave me a spiritual thought. And that spiritual thought, I think, was my way out. He said, what is her spiritual need? That was the, the spiritual thought that came across my mind. And as she continued to ask me about what was in the shed, I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And she's like, yeah, that'd be fine. I said, have you ever considered what your standing is with God? <laughs> now, 
I got to tell you, all of a sudden the temptation went out the window and God provided the way of escape. And I actually had a great conversation. But I want you to know that temptation was very real to me. Now, she may have had no intentions at all, but it was all going on inside of my heart. And that temptation was there. These temptations have always been, and I know that they were there for Moses, and it was very, very real to him as a leader in Egypt at that time. We know that he could have had any possessions that he wanted. Material possessions are extremely enticing, where we have want something and we want something more, and then we want something more. Now, Moses could have had anything. He could have had the latest Calvin Klein sandals. He could have had Egyptian sheets with a 5,000 thread count. I'm telling you, he could have had the best. Talk about a trip down the Nile River. He could have gone anywhere he wanted because he could afford it. This is what he had before him. See, what's interesting in all of these temptations is that they're the same things that we have today. And you really don't have to have wealth in order for you to be enticed by popularity or are drawn in by the sensual pleasures of sin, or drawn in by the material addictions of this world. See, Moses' obstacle was the same obstacle that you and I face today. But our passage says this. It says that Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh. He chose to be mistreated with his people rather than enjoying the pleasure of sin. And he looked for the eternal treasure that are found in Christ rather than in the treasures of this world. So how did he do it? How did he do it? I want to know the secret. I want to be able to overcome temptation. Do you want to overcome temptation? Well, the answer is simple. Faith. It says, by faith. He did this. By faith, Moses did this. This was his internal motivation. See, we are told that Moses had a deep faith with the one true God, which is amazing because he was raised in a polytheistic society. But he chose to reject the way of the Egyptians, and he remembered his family, his heritage. And he, somehow he knew that in his family that there was a promise of a one called the Christ. Now, we look at the word Christ and we think, oh, that's the second name. That's the last name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. That's not the last name of Jesus. That is the title of Jesus. The word Christ means anointed one. It's another name for the Messiah. So when it says that he believed in Christ, he believed in the Messiah. He knew that there would be a chosen one that would come through his people. And so there is a decision of allegiance. Which way will I go? Will I go the way of Egypt or will I go the way of the one true God? And that's what he chooses as he goes the way of the one true God. And this is our second faith principle. Faith chooses Christ and God's people above all pleasures. Now think about that. We're faced with the same temptations in life. We're faced with the same dilemmas of, a, of allegiance. See, Moses had the allegiance with his nationality, with his people, through whom the, the one true Savior would come. The true Savior has come, and he came to establish what he calls the church. And so we have the choice of where do we align ourselves? 
Do we align ourselves with the bride of Christ, the church, and thus we focus on Christ in our life and draw our strength there? Do you realize that there is strength in resisting the temptation by what he has given us in this thing called the church, the family? Some of us try to do life all by ourselves. And what God wants is not for us to live life all by ourselves. He wants us not just to come into church and just leave. He wants us to get connected. He wants us to get integrated within the body, which means that we have to open up ourselves. We have to extend ourselves to others so that we can be vulnerable to them, so that they can be vulnerable to us. And in that way, we align and we mesh in the body of Christ. Are there problems? Yeah, there's problems. But as family, we work through them. Let's move on to the next choice. The next choice was a choice of assignment. Choice of assignment. Look in verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, the first 40 years of Moses' life was being a prince of Egypt. Now, the second 40 years, we know that he leaves quickly. We know that he had murdered a man who had, uh, was actually an Egyptian who was abusing one of his own people. He knew that he would be found out, so he left. But our passage says that he just doesn't leave out of fear of the king's edict. It says that he left by faith. By faith, he left Egypt. So there was a reason, a deeper reason, that Moses left Egypt. I believe that he left Egypt because of what Egypt represented. Could it be that he knew that Egypt was a dangerous place for him at this point in his life? He was motivated. Could it be that he was motivated to get a, as far away from Egypt so that he could possibly draw near to God, so that he could hear God? We know that he spent 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of Midian, he met a wife, an Ethiopian wife. She was from Cush, which is a part of Ethiopia. She was a Cushite. So she, and then they had children. And he was a shepherd. And all he did during the day was shepherd his sheep. And he's out in silence. He's out in tranquility. He, all he could do, no one to bother him. Don't you wish sometimes your job was like that? Don't you wish that sometime you could just get away from a bunch of people and you could just be with stupid sheep? Don't you wish that? So, it, but that's what he did. And he's out by himself. But then God one day, probably towards the end of that 40 years, spoke to him. And he spoke to him in a burning bush. And it says in this passage, in Hebrews 11, uh, 27, it says, this is what he's referring to. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. He's talking about the burning bush experience. It is here that Moses hears God speak in an audible voice. And he receives his assignment from God that goes way beyond what Moses felt what he was capable of doing. And after he wrestles with God, God gives him that instruction and he surrenders to God. And he says, okay, I'll go back to Egypt. Friends, it's only when we get away from sin that we can hear God. See, I think for some of us, metaphorically speaking, we have an Egypt in our life. There's an Egypt, it's a stronghold in our life 
And it's that stronghold that we probably need to distance ourselves from because we find ourselves extremely vulnerable there. You know what that is. Maybe it's the affair that you're flirting with. You've just connected in eyes. It's just started with a, maybe a, a, a brush of the hand. Maybe it's just a, a, a lunchtime business meeting. Maybe it just starts there. Maybe it's a Facebook romance. Maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's the fact that you are unaccountable on the computer. And nobody is asking you what you're viewing. And that's your Egypt right now. And you're drawing close to it because you know that's where it is. And that no one's asking you. Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe you have no one asking you how holding you accountable to the words that you're speaking. And you're finding yourself in the middle of controversy. Maybe you find yourself in the midst of a bunch of friends that are pulling you or bringing the worst out in you. I don't know what your Egypt is, but until we move away, and Jesus said, he called it repent. When we repent of these things, it's only then that we can start to hear from God and know that God wants to do something in our life. Do you realize the enemy would want you in shackles? He would want you to be bound up in sin. He wants you caught up in the sins of Egypt because as long as you're camping out here, you're not on the front lines for God. And you have become sidelined. You have become disabled, immobilized, and you are no threat to the enemy. But what God wants and the reason he gives forgiveness, the reason he gives repentance is so that he can heal us, so that he can get us to the place where we can be used greatly of God. And when we're there, the next faith principle happens. Faith accepts the assignment that is way beyond our ability. That's what Moses did. He finally, after the wrestling, accepted the assignment God had for him. Let's move on to the next choice. The next choice is a choice of atonement. This is the fourth principle that we're going to be looking at. It says here in verse 28, by faith, there's that phrase, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, most of us know the story of Moses. When he goes back to Egypt, he has a message for Pharaoh. What's the message to Pharaoh? Let my people go. Let my people go. God had heard their cries. Moses was back. He was giving that. And God had given them plagues. And we know that there were 10 plagues. But do we understand the last plague? Do we understand what the whole angel of death was about? Do we understand why God said, take a lamb, a perfect lamb, shed the blood of the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost of the house, roast the meat, eat the meat. I want you to have substance. See, what, Jesus, what God was doing was he was giving a plan, a picture of redemption. He was giving a picture of salvation. And this was to be an exercise of faith that they were to do. And what God was going to do is he was going to do the unthinkable. You just don't kill every firstborn son. You just don't do that. But he was going to do it of Egyptians and of the Hebrews if they didn't listen. It was only those that were covered under the blood that the angel of death would pass by. For the person that would say, you know what, that's too narrow-minded. You mean to say that there's only one way to save our, my child's life? There's only way to be spared from death is through the blood? Oh, that there's got to be many other ways. For anybody that thought that way, guess what? They lost their firstborn. 
they suffered the consequence. Because what God was doing was he's painting a picture of salvation. And that that picture is that there's only one way. See, that's not exactly a popular message today. Here's our faith principle. Faith believes in God's simple plan of salvation. There's one way. We were interviewing, I was interviewing this week, past week, uh, for a position for graphic artist and web designer. And I had talked to a lady from Oregon who was interested in our position. But I asked her to share her spiritual story. And she said to me, she said, well, I believe that there's many ways to God. And I despise all those churches that think that there's only one way. Our conversation lasted about two more minutes. Because that's what we believe. And we're not apologetic. There's one way. That's what the Passover was to show. Here's the last principle. The last principle is that, there, or the last choice is the choice of adventure. Now look at this passage. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. As you know, Pharaoh had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. He had let the people go. He had given them some time to take all of the, to plunder Egypt, and they were on their way. And then he has a change of heart, and he goes after them. And when we, what we find is we find that the people of Israel are wedged in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army that is coming to destroy them. Now, on Pharaoh's side, he had strong men, furious men, bloodthirsty men who wanted vengeance on these people. He had 600 chariots. These are all the advantages, much more of a military might than the people of Israel. But what did Israel have on their side? Well, first of all, they had their firstborn son still with them. They had all the plunder of Egypt in their saddlebag. They had a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of uh, clouds by night, or cloud by night and fire by uh, other way around. You got it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Separating them and the Egyptian army. They had, a Mo they had Moses as their leader, and they had a God who said this. He said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Yes, the obstacle that was there before the people of Israel was simple. They were afraid. They saw the armies, but God said to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Wow. What a message we need to hear today. God will fight for you. All you need to do Be still. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. What is it with tranquility that we avoid when in all reality it's in that tranquility that we hear from God? The motivation of the people was obviously to be delivered and so they believed God 
And they went through the Red Sea as it was divided. They went through on, in faith on dry land. Believe me, if you saw walls of water going up like three stories high, and you were passing through on dry ground, believe me, that would be an issue of faith as you're looking at this wall and thinking, is it going to collapse on me? Because you know if it does, that's your doom. But the people of Israel passed through, and of course the Egyptians went in and it collapsed on them. And this ended 430 years of abuse. Can you sense the sigh of relief of the people of Israel? They have been released from bondage. And now they head off to the promised land. Here's the fifth principle. Faith seeks the adventure God has for us so that he will get the glory. Do you realize it was an adventure for them to pass through the Red Sea? My, my question is, God has a, a Red Sea for you. What is it? And are you willing to pass through it? God has a Red Sea for you to pass through, an adventure that he wants of each and every one of us to pass through. Are you participating in that? Are you hearing what God has to say? See, God wants us to take steps. Back in September, I gave a challenge to Mission View Church. I want to read that challenge to you because I want you to think about it six months later. Here's the challenge. It says this. This is what I said. I said, as we move forward in our third year of ministry as a church, how will you take a small step of faith to advance God's kingdom? How will you take a small step of faith to advance God's kingdom? The elders promise to lead you the best that we can down the path of faith. In faith, we will lead the way uh, in reaching out to our community. In faith, we will personally reach out into our own circle of responsibility, our core. In faith, we will see to it that we advance into new frontiers for the sake of the gospel. The elders are working on new initiatives to use business as a platform to help plant churches in unreached parts of the world. We're starting to do that in Tajikistan, by the way. We have a team going in September and a team going in November. And we will strive to help you grow deeper. This year, we will launch a more, in, uh, uh, a more uh, intensive and... Uh, a more intensive mentoring ministry for men and for women. And we've seen that in Men of Iron and the If Gatherings or the If Table. And in faith, we will preach God's word without compromise. Our theme this year is faith. My friends, in order for this to expand, it just means that each of us need to think about how we will take a small step of faith. I'm not talking about being a Billy Graham. I'm not talking about reaching your whole neighborhood for Christ. I'm not talking about, you know, impacting your whole business place. Maybe that'll happen. Well, let's start with one step of faith. I want you to think about that as we sing this last song. And then I'm going to come back and Adam's going to share a little bit too as we come back. So just listen to the song and participate.